Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson, and I'm Kathleen Shannon. I am Mary Reynolds, and I am Being Boss. Mary Reynolds grew up in rural Ireland on a small farm, youngest of six children. She has a degree in landscape horticulture from University College Dublin and started her garden design company in 1997. She has designed private gardens, designed gardens for garden makeover shows, and won the gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show in 2002. She caught our eye with her book, The Garden Awakening, a garden design book that draws inspiration from long forgotten Irish ways of working with the land. Today, Today we're talking with Mary about her journey as an entrepreneur and how working with the land can heal your connection with the earth and yourself. And as always, be sure to check out our show notes at www.beingboss.club where we're including all the links and references that we mentioned in today's episode. All right, you guys, imagine this. You're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects. You're prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer, small business owner, boss who's wearing all the hats. Challenging, yes, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. So to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can set up online payments and with just a couple of clicks, get paid up to four day faster. And you can see when your client has seen your invoice, putting an end to all the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30 day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the show today. It's lovely to be here, ladies. Thank you very much for having me. So let's start a little bit. Emily, I would love actually for you to talk about finding Mary and reading her book and having to have her on the show. I know, because I feel like it was a little bit of magic. I was just talking to Mary about it. She asked me how I ran across her book. And Lily and I were hanging out in a part of Chattanooga, um, a couple of weeks ago, and I wandered into this bookstore. And this is about the time that David and I um, got our backyard fenced in. We built like an eight-foot wall, <laughs> basically, around our backyard um, in the middle of Chattanooga. And Lily and I wandered into this bookstore that we had never been before, a locally owned store. And downstairs, there was this beautiful book on a bookshelf. And it was beautiful green with this wonderful like motif on the front of it. And it was called The Garden Awakening. And Lily was there, so I couldn't couldn't like take a moment to look at it. So I just snapped a, a photo um, of the book with my phone and wandered off and kind of forgot about the book for a couple of days until David started talking about what we were going to be doing in our backyard. And I remembered that I had found this beautiful book called The Garden Awakening and it sounded so magical and right up my alley. Like, And I don't, I didn't know anything about the book, but I knew that this book was the book that I needed to get. And so I got on Amazon and I ordered the book and I got here two days later. Thank you, Amazon Prime. And um, I read the whole book over the course of the weekend. I could not put it down. I sat in the, on my front porch. It was like our first nice spring day, um, spring-like day, fake spring in the South. And um, I sat on the front porch and read this book over the course of two or three days and absolutely loved it. It was such a great mix of super practical um, land planning. So like what plants are you going to plant and making sure that you know your contours so you can gauge like water drainage and those sorts of things, but also quite a bit of magic, which I didn't really anticipate. And this idea of, of letting your intentions seep into the land and allowing you healing your land to heal yourself. And it was an amazing book. And as soon as I read the book, I got on to Slack and I told Kathleen we have to have Mary on immediately because not only does she share her really 
her really boss entrepreneurial journey of having this day job and going to something more creative and sort of off the wall and unexpected and making a name for herself doing it. Um, But because it's Earth Week and I like to share super green things (laughs) during, during this time of the year, especially. So that's kind of how I found Mary and her really wonderful book that I think if nothing else, will absolutely change our backyard. David ended up reading the book, and I was telling Mary a second ago, he's been spending the past couple of days mapping out contours in our backyard with his little geographer hat on. Uh, because Mary, I didn't tell you, David and I also, have, we both have degrees in geography. And David's um, is specifically in, um, or he studied specifically uh, dendroecology, so tree ring science. So totally right up our alleys. <laughs> we love it. And I'm so excited to have you on. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, it was so funny. Emily was like, you've got to read this book. I totally thought the Garden Awakening was a metaphor. And so I start digging into the book and I'm like, oh, no, this is like really about gardening. But it still is. You can also actually really see the metaphors in there as well. And I'm not quite through. But Mary, let's jump in with you. I would love for you to share your entrepreneurial journey. Like, how did you get to where you are now? And where are you now? Like, what's happening in your life? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a bumpy ride to get where I am, but that's always the best way of getting somewhere, isn't it? As long as you don't go down the same paths again on those same bumps, you're doing really well. But, um, yeah, what happened? I, I, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. Like most people don't know what they want to do with their lives when they're young. And I left college and I used went to do languages and marketing and um, had absolutely no interest and I dropped out almost immediately. Within three months I'd left college and I went to Dublin, where is, which is the biggest city here, and I started a very promising career in a cardboard box making factory on minimum wage. <laughs> and um, <laughs> six, six months into that, my, my parents, I, I grew up on a farm in Ireland, southeast of Ireland, and I was the youngest of six children. Um, my parents were very, um, very intent that everyone got a really good in- education. So they were horrified that their youngest had ended up in this situation. And they were very, very focused on getting me out of it. And um, I, 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 I fell, I kind of fell after much pressure into going, okay, I'll go back to college, you know, fine, like, not occurring to me that this was a good thing you know and um and I had no idea what to do but I fancied this guy who was studying landscape design in University College Dublin so I said look I'll do that that looks like that looks like something I would love to do yeah so um I ended up going there after about two weeks I realized there was not nothing there between me and him but I didn't know what else to do, so I kept going, and it turns out I was really good at it. I really, I'm a good designer. I'm just naturally good at design. Um, and I ended up setting up my own business immediately. I've never had a real job. Um, and uh, after a few years, I kind of, you know, I did loads of TV makeovers and stuff like that, and it was really, I was good at it, like, but I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't understand what was the point of it all. And... Um, I realized that basically I was losing the will to live, you know. <laughs> this was not fulfilling my true self in any way. So luckily I, I've always had these dreams throughout my life that kind of guide me a little bit. So I had this dream which made me realize um, there was something wrong with the way we were working with land and the way I was working with land specifically. And it was kind of like a two-phased process, my understanding of land now I hadn't reached at this particular point I'm referring to but back then I realized that nature and gardens had become two very separate entities even though people presume that they're very much connected they're not you know um can gardening no matter what people say gardeners even though they have this real need to connect to nature and they generally tend to have a lovely gentleness about them yet Gardening, which is what really is all that is on offer, is a very controlling thing and it's a very detrimental to nature generally, depending on how people go about it. But it's not allowing 
I don't know, it's not allowing nature to shine. And at that point, all that I understood was that nature and gardening were different. So I decided to bring my ideas uh, to the Chelsea Flower Show in London, which is this very big worldwide kind of showcase competition. I basically um, lied my way into the competition because they didn't want me to <laughs> They didn't want me to go there, you know. So I rang up the Royal Horticultural Society one day because none of my clients would let me do a wild garden because they all, I wasn't good at bossing people around, okay. As a designer, I kind of hoped that they would go along, but I didn't, uh, you know. So the idea of having weeds in their garden just wasn't going to appeal to anybody, obviously. So I rang up the Royal Horticultural Society and I said, hi, how's it going? Would you send me an application form for the Chelsea Flower Show? because I have ideas I want to showcase there. And they said, listen, love, we've never heard of you. You sound very young and very naive. So just go away. Like, you know, God love you. Like, where what, where do you think you're going? At that point, it was very difficult to get into the Chelsea Flower Show. It was a very closed shop. It's changed since. Now anybody can really get in. I think I kind of broke the barrier there a little, which was really good. So um, I badgered them and badgered them, and I kept ringing back. And I said, listen, is there any chance you'd give me an application form? And every time the guy I spoke to said, yes, yeah, sure, we'll send you one out just to get rid of me. Don't worry, we'll send you one out. But one afternoon in August, I got a hold of a secretary and she said, sorry, love, those were sent out. Those, those forms were sent out eight weeks ago and they're due back in this weekend. And this was the Thursday morning. And I was really devastated. I said, I told her what had happened. And she said, look, she felt sorry for me. And she said, I'll fax you through the application forms, but you need to have the full sponsorship in place and the full set of design drawings here before the weekend. Um, so I forged the sponsorship documents from an obscure company in Beirut that I figured nobody could trace. <laughs> and, I <did> the <laughs> and I did the designs really quickly. And um, I rolled everything up. Um, I, I laminated everything and I rolled it all up with bunches of mint, bunches of wild mint, because every plant has its own intention. And mint, I figured that I was going to really have to break through all these kind of preconceived negative ideas. And that was that's what mint is about, is one of, one of mints, it can break through those kind of barriers. So when they opened these rolls of drawings from Ireland, this mint would have exploded all over the table. I can't even imagine what they thought. But... They had, they thought I had, you know, quarter of a million money there ready to go. Um, so they thought it was fine. And then, in, and that's fine. That's what I did. And then I, and then I fell in love with someone and I chased him to Ethiopia. And um, instead of trying to raise the money for the garden, I was chasing some man around Ethiopia. And the Chelsea Flower Show were setting up this incredible you know, they everyone was excited. There was an Irish garden designer in there and they had written up all their pamphlets and their catalogues. And there was me and my garden, but I didn't have the money. So it was really interesting. Actually, they've made a movie about this, which is coming out in America this year sometimes. Um, it's a beautiful film called Dare to be Wild. Um, but um, the funny thing about it was that uh, I had written on the fridge thank you for my full sponsorship and gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show. And I said it over and over again until I believed it had already happened. And then I didn't really have to do anything. Everything just fell into place for me. And um, I, I, I think I had read some book like Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success or something. And, I, and it said that if you do this, it would work. And, and I've realized since what that's all about and I've delved into the Irish versions of all those understandings and everything but um so yeah I wrote this on the fridge and I, I said it every day and then it was the most incredible thing happened um this guy was building a hospice in Dublin and the concept for my garden I had a my concepts are very poetically worded you know and the garden was a sanctuary. It was called Charm and She, which means Sanctuary of the Fairies. And we had to call it the Celtic Sanctuary or something for the RHS. But um, the garden was very, very simple. It was very beautiful. It was just stones and wildflowers, you know. And um, this concept for the garden was very specific. And eventually I had to go public about the fact that I had no money in the Irish newspapers, hoping that somebody was going to give me the money. 
and, the, and then I went to Ethiopia for more important things, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then I came home and there was a check in the door for every everything. I mean, I had 14 different sponsors in the end and they all just arrived. It was amazing. But the money I had been missing. And um, so basically the concept was exactly the same wording as a brief he had given to an art gallery to find a piece of sculpture for this hospice he was building. So he saw it as a sign. And so he paid for the garden to go to London and then he had it rebuilt in the hospice as this piece of sculpture. So it was an amazing story. Wow. And so what what happened at the at the show though? Well at the show, um it, well it's you'll have to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. It was wonderful. It really was an amazing story, the whole thing, looking back on it. I mean, it was like so many wonderful and I dropped my earpiece. Sorry. So many wonderful things happened. Basically, um, the the garden won a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show and um, Prince Charles had a garden beside us. And um, we like some of the craziest things happened at that show. You wouldn't believe the stories like there's just was so funny, the whole thing. Um, but we we were quite naive, like, we, you know, it worked well. But what it did was it launched me into the world as, a, as an international designer and set me up kind of doing designs everywhere that were wild. But yet again, I went on with my life like that. Um, I fell out of love with the with the gorgeous man um, and fell in love with somebody else, had children. Um, but I kept going along, doing my designs. I ended up being a single mom very quickly. Um, and I've been a single mom now for over 10 years. And um, I like being alone. It suits me. It gives me a lot of time to do things like write books in the evening. <laughs> so when the kids were asleep, I started thinking about my work and I knew this film was coming out and they had suggested I write a book to come out with the film. So I started writing the story that I just told you, but it I didn't want to write it anymore. I mean, I'd already told the screenwriter this story and it was very, you know, I'd said it too often. I didn't want to bore myself again by writing it down in detail, do you know? So I decided to write about my work and interestingly I wrote myself out of a job very quickly <laughs> is that true <laughs> yeah because I realized that although although all the gardens I had been working with that I had worked with and designed that they were all very beautiful and they had been designed in harmony with the shapes and patterns of nature and they didn't block the flow of energy in their spaces and they were wild, but I was still controlling them. I wasn't allowing the land to become what it wanted to become. And therefore, I was failing and I couldn't figure out how to do what I was doing and allow the land to become what it wanted. And so I had to stop. So I stopped and I researched and I spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. And what I've done is I've completely turned the whole thing upside down and all the knowledge that I have isn't new knowledge this is all old knowledge it's just stuff that we've forgotten and the most important piece of that knowledge is one that a lot of people say these days but I hadn't realized it that is that we are guardians of this earth and it's our role to take care of this planet and instead of taking care of it we're destroying it and gardeners are not embracing nature and nurturing it we're controlling it and we're deciding what it wants to become so we are treating our land like 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 a child okay and the child you know can get into a pink tutu when we tell it to and it can sit in the garden and look really pretty when the neighbors call around and do exactly what we tell it to but if it grows or changes or moves which it can't help but do because that's its true nature it will become a teenager it grows it can't help it we'll punish it and tell it to get back into that pink tutu and don't you dare move, you know, and we'll spray it and tell it, this is what happens to you if you don't do what I tell you. The land wants to become a stable, multi-tiered ecosystem. That's what it wants. And when it's there, it's healthy and it's full of life. And and that's that's a really important thing that we can do in this world. If we can see... All of us who are aware of what's going wrong in the world, all of us 
are going, oh, my God, how how can we as individuals do anything? And the, the protests, although they're good, it's most of us feel very powerless with these protests. I mean, we have no leaders anymore. There is no leadership in this world. They are just all corrupt. They're basically leading the multinationals. They're, they're lining their own pockets. They're lining the pockets of their friends. They are destroying the vulnerable in our societies. They're destroying our land, our water, our air, our home. And the only way we can fix this is to take back our power from these absolute dark idiots. And as people, as individuals, what we can do is take the little pieces of land that we are lucky enough to call our own and we can bring them back to full health. And if enough of us do this, if enough of us take this on, we can connect all those little patches and we can step out of the system that is the multinational poisonous industrial farming system. We can grow our own food. That will affect them. If we stop buying their food, that will affect them. And we can grow food in a way that actually allows the land to become what it wants to become. And that's what my book is about. And trying to get this into people's heads that this is the most powerful thing you can do. This is the most powerful thing you can do. And the key and the magic behind it is really interesting. And that magic is that as you work to heal your land, you will find you will all those things that the land itself needs. You will restore that within yourself. And um, it's just a wonderful journey that isn't a fast one. It takes time, you know. It's building a relationship with your land, basically. It's like a child. You're like you're raising a child. It doesn't. You can't do it overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I love that whenever you talk about writing yourself out of a job, I can tell for you, for you, it seems like more of a necessity than keeping the job to yourself. I mean, for example, if you hadn't, I would never have found your book. You wouldn't be here and David wouldn't be putting little flags in our backyard right now. Um, and, and us thinking about how it is that we can heal our little patch of land. So I love this idea that that you followed this calling to do something different with, you know, this, this education that you had. It was landscape design and turning it into you, <laughs> like your version of landscape design and really infusing yourself into it wholeheartedly and then turning that into something that can be shared and accomplished for anyone. I think that's such a powerful place. But I have to wonder, I have to wonder how you felt along the way. So sort of breaking these molds every step of the way and even doing so in in funny ways, <laughs> which I love and admire. Like what were some of those feelings that you went through as you made those transitions and stepped into doing things that other people weren't doing? And I think along with the feelings, I'm super curious about trusting these feelings that you were having like how did you know to trust that you needed to shift direction or write yourself out of out of a job almost i i'm really curious about that too so i have a a very strong connection with nature and i never had that same connection with people and i'll tell you how that happened and that will explain why i was driven to do what i was driven because I say it in the front of my book, my, all my thanks goes to my green family, really. The green family being nature, you know. Because when I was a young girl, I was about six, I don't really remember, I was five, six or seven, in around there. And um, I wandered off on the farm because the land was very, was we, we had a lot of freedom when we were young. Um, and the land was very different before the Green Revolution hadn't really kicked in in Ireland. You know, the industrial farming thing hadn't kicked in yet. And it was, I guess it was the late 70s or just the beginning of the 80s, you know. And um, I wandered off on the farm and, I, and it was full of life. You know, the, the earth was full of life. It was everywhere. And I wandered into this little field at the top of our farm and I'll never forget it. It was a very vivid memory that I have and it might sound a bit mad, but for me it was very real. So I wandered into the farm and um, into, into this gap in the hedge and then I knew something had changed. I looked behind me and the gap in the hedge had completely disappeared. So all of the he of the shrubs and trees had had moved together or 
there had you know I couldn't understand what had happened as a little girl it was very frightening there was the gap was gone I was trapped in the field and I walked around the field and I could not find my way out there was no way out and I was really frightened and I know it was May because there was a really strong scent of hawthorn which is a very particular smell which I love and um there was no way out and I was calling but I was too far away obviously from people and there was neighbors another field away but nobody heard me um and I was really frightened and eventually I got distracted by the sunshine and the fact that the flowers and the meadows and the butterflies and I sat down and it was warm and I stopped being frightened and I started noticing where I was and what was going on and I suddenly recognized that all these plants and creatures, they were like, they were, what's the word? They were, they were almost leaning in, looking for my attention and they were all kind of shimmering. And, you know, there was, uh, there was this real powerful kind of awareness from each of these creatures and they were wonderful. And um, each of them had a different personality. Some of them were scared you know, a little bit nervous of me. Some of them were friendly. Some of them were really, you know, over the top kind of bossy. Um, they were really powerful individual creatures. And I, I was, I was interested in why were they interested in, why did, why did they want me to notice them? And it, it, I couldn't understand that. And I, I did look in, I did, didn't figure it out for a long time. Anyway, eventually what happened was one of the neighbors did hear me and shouted, came across the field and shouted over into the field I was in. And I looked around and the gap was open and I went home. I didn't talk about it. Um, You know, my parents were farmers full time. They both had full time jobs. They were very busy, you know, Um, and I didn't really have connections with people because I was very much a, a loner and so I made my connections with nature. I did tell my dad about that field when I was about 18 and he said the same thing had happened to his grandfather in that field. And it was known like it was known like locally as a fairy field. You get in and you can't come out. And this is one of the things in Irish lore that you do come across. But what I recognized long time later was that that land and those plants that they were part of my family and I was part of their family. And that's when it all fell into place for me for writing this book. Um, My role was to protect my family and that's what I do. So when I have those feelings that you talk about, when I go through all this stuff, I, I, I forget about it a lot. I forget about nature. I forgot about nature when I was a teenager and stuff and has gone mad on whatever you know, people do when they're teenagers. And, um, but it was only, I came back to it because it was the only place I ever felt safe was in nature. And so um, even though some of the things I was saying were laughed at and still are, you know, particularly in Ireland, um, people don't necessarily understand what I'm saying, but underneath it all, they do. And even though they mightn't be brave enough to say it to their friends, they're brave enough to say say it to me that it it that it means a lot to them. And from all over the world, people contact me, um, saying how this stuff is real. It's true. It's exactly what it it spoke to them. But it's not it's not my stuff. This is all in every culture. This is there. This is this is who we are. Um, and I'm trying to adapt it for our society now. Is how to work with land you know we don't live we're not indigenous people living in the woods you know so how do we how do we bring those roles back in suburbia or in you know urban tiny little gardens or in parks or in community gardens so that's that was the kind of difficult puzzle I had to face so that's what the book came from Oh, I love that story so much. Whenever I was a kid, we had some woods near our house. And I remember there was a big creek and these this tree that had exposed roots down into the creek. And I always felt like there was something so magical about this space and that tree specifically and just feeling so comforted. I mean, I could spend 
all day up in a mulberry tree eating mulberries. And now going back to that land, it's all been fully developed. There are houses in where those woods were. And I remember as a kid feeling so protective of those woods. Me and my friends were always talking about raising money to buy that land and make sure it was never developed. And you know, it feels so naive. But now also talking to you, it feels very real and very important. And thinking about the world that we're raising our kids in now, do they have those fields? Do they have those woods? And what do we have now? And so talking about really owning our own space of land, I think is super powerful and not kind of abusing it into submission. I mean, I'm even thinking just last week I sprayed my lawn because it's what you do, right? And it's so easy to just fall into that norm. But as you were telling all these stories, the the one that you just shared and then and then really owning our own land, I keep thinking about my grandpa and how back in the Depression – People were encouraged to build their own victory gardens. That's what they called them, right? Victory gardens. And it was really about that little bit of ownership and kind of, again, um, what's the word for taking it back from the government? Um, uh, not sub- What's the word? Sub- I don't know. Subversive? Like, you know, like this act of almost <laughs> anarchy or this act of rebellion, That's what it is, this act of rebellion to have your own little victory garden, but not just rebellion, this collaboration and contribution to your family, to your community. So how do we actually go about doing this? Like, how do we muster up the courage to get started? Okay, well, well, there isn't really a choice. We don't have a choice. Um, anybody who's aware of how close we are to ecosystem collapse realizes we don't have a choice and if you look at the food we're eating you will realize that it's very very damaging to your body like 72% of your body is made of water approximately 72% of the earth is covered in water the food you eat should be at least 72% water if it's not then it's not going to be good for you so most of the food that we eat is processed it's it's grown with chemicals it's extremely damaging. Um, we're losing our bees. If we lose our bees, we only have four years left on this planet because there'll be no more pollination for the food. They're almost wiped out. People don't realize how close we are to the edge. So the only way we are going to survive um, is by taking the power away from those people who call themselves our leaders and um, stepping into our power again and actually being anarchists in a very gentle way and by growing our own food and allowing the land to become a multi-tiered woodland system you can grow food in a very different way called forest gardening and um, it's by growing food on seven different layers and you can do it you can grow a vast amount of food in a small space and um, most of our food is basically it's killing everybody it's giving everybody cancer Our water is poisoned by the way we are growing our food. We've lost 70% of the topsoil in the world in the last 50 years. Um, 70% of our topsoil being washed away in that short amount of time is catastrophic. That means that we only have, according to the UN, they announced in 2012 that we have 60 harvests left in the world. And that was in 2012. And now that's two harvests a year in 2012. That means we are very much running out of time. And when the topsoil is gone, when it's washed into all our streams and washed into the seas, there will be nothing to grow our food anymore. And this might look very difficult for people to understand um, when it still looks kind of lush, but industrial farming is destroying is destroying the planet. And um, we need to return to agroforestry, small-scale community gardening and small-scale farming. And it's just... It's not going to happen unless people stop paying those people for the poisonous food that we're eating. The only way they're going to change is if we stop giving them money for what they're producing. Amen. Right. So um, I, I want to talk about this topsoil thing a little bit because this is something, this is like the first thing that David dove into whenever he started um planning out our backyard and that is like fungus and mycelium and a magnificent book that David has like poured over uh, mycelium running which is one of the books that you reference in your um, in your book so maybe we can talk about fungus for a second 
Sure. It's one of my favorite subjects. Right. So, so let, let's talk about like this idea of dirt and topsoil and dirt, dirt and topsoil are not the same thing. So if you have a patch of land, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's okay or that it will produce food. And one of the ways that you can take your dirt and turn it into soil is by reintroducing fungus to the soil that can break down the plant matter and whatever else you got going on in there and um, and re-enrich your soil. So maybe we can talk a little bit about, I feel like that's a really great like introductory to healing your yard for sort of basic steps. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, like, um, it's the first practical step is to, well, just to understand that you should never, you should never dig your soil over. You should never expose it to the air. It's like ripping the skin off your arm and your body, which is like the earth, will immediately activate its very intelligent system of scabbing over the cut on its skin by activating the weed seed bank in the soil. So the seeds might need 30, one thirtieth of a second of light exposure to activate, activate them. That's all they need. So the second that that's activated, the earth is going, my God, send up a scab, get cover this over. Because if you don't, it, the ex- overexposure to oxygen will kill all the microlife in the soil eventually, like through different processes. Um, too much oxygen is bad for the soil, basically. And um, uh, so you should never dig your soil, which is, you know, again, it's against everything that you know as a gardener, right? It's all about digging your soil and adding stuff. But actually what you need to do is protect the soil. And there, in, in every square foot of healthy soil, there's thousands of miles of threads of what are roots of there's three different types of fungi mycelium is one of them and these incredible fungi called mycelium are the roots of the mushrooms that we often eat right and um they are the mushrooms are like the fruit of the mycelium okay so these have these wonderful relationships with plants and in return for the plants they attach themselves to the roots of plants and in return for the plants, they have a kind of a symbiotic relationship, basically. So the plants give these mycelium food through carbohydrates or sugars from photosynthesis, and they feed them through their roots. And in return, if the plant needs something, they talk to each other, basically. If the plant needs a particular nutrient, the mycelium in healthy soil, if it's in existence, if the network is there, it will go and get the nutrient that is required, and it'll transport it back along its threads, along its network, and give it to the plant. And um, um, the bacteria in the soil are vitally important. That's the health of the soil. And um, when you spray chemicals on your soil, you're killing the bacteria in the soil, the same way as if you put chemicals into your body. Sorry, sorry, Kathleen. No. <laughs> <But> it, just, <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it is funny because I, I feel like in my heart and gut, I know better. Like my neighbor is a guy who works with this stuff, and he's always like, Kathleen, do you want me to spray your lawn? And I'm like, no, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I understand. I understand because I did it as well before I understood what I was doing. And it's when you get it, you can't do it anymore it's when you know what you're doing and 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 it is so accepted now it's like it's part of gardening so people think spraying is just another thing and you're told it's harmless and it's not it's just lies it's not harmless um you know glyphosate which is common herbicide everywhere that that's that's lethal lethal it kills all the bacteria in the soil it stops the it stops, stops being able to absorb mag- manganese or magnesium. It can't absorb magnesium. There's no magnesium in our food. We have to take supplements to get it. I mean, um, there's so much wrong with spraying, but it's like taking antibiotics. It kills all the bacteria in your gut, and it, you know, chemicals will kill the bacteria in the soil, and it's dead. Without the bacteria, it's dead. We we don't we we can't survive without those bacteria. We're basically walking plants. We just don't have roots. And we're all inside out. We know we're, we're like a we're like a body of earth, really, you know, and all those same creatures are inside our guts. They're all in there. And we we need them to be well. You know, um, it's really strange that we, we just have forgotten that. You know? OK, so here's my question. 
I got really into the idea of gardening and specifically I was trying square foot gardening a few years ago. I probably spent $300 on the best kind of soil and thing like worms and, you know, just really composting my own compost, really putting a lot of effort into this and yielding zero. And once I did start to grow like a couple of things, the vine borers got to it and then there was a hailstorm and I just felt so discouraged. So then my goal was to really support the local farmers to get a CSA or to join a CSA and really just give my money to the people who did know what they were doing and were good at this sort of thing. So my question, I guess, is I'm feeling re-inspired talking to you and it's Earth Day and I I want to join the rebellion. I want to heal myself and heal my land. But I just feel at the mercy of the elements. Like what what do you do here? Like what do you do whenever you just feel like you're in over your head? Is there a way I could start small with maybe container gardening or what's the best way to start small maybe? Okay. Well, forget about container gardening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of think you need to be connected to the earth and if there's plastic between you and it, it's not really the same thing, you know? So you've got to look at your land like uh, this is just bear with me for a moment. Okay. So your land, if you have some, is like a vulnerable child and it looks to you, it's guardian as a parent would, you know, it looks as a child looks to you to, to give it its direction because it's totally under your control. It will have to become what you tell it. That's it. So it's looking to you. And I feel land is alive the same way we are. It has the same emotions. It has the same feelings. Some of it is damaged. Some of it's not. Um, there over here, a lot of the, um, a good part of the book is based on understanding the energetic healing processes with land the um, old ways of working with land, like beating the boundaries, letting the land know which part you're working with and which part comes within your family so that it knows, right? So so then you've got this individual piece of land and it wants to become, it wants to become a mature, independent being. So you can either look at it like a child and go, right, I'm going to support you to become who you really want to be, but I'm going to give you boundaries I'm going to help you grow. I'm not going to let you off to be wild because if you do that, you won't have a relationship with it. And that's an awful pity. And also we've run out of time. We can't allow all the things that can go wrong, go wrong. So you have to understand that this is going to take time. And that's the problem with all those types of gardening is that things will go wrong, but we are not prepared for them in those short term kind of square foot gardening things. There's no, we have to allow the natural ecosystems gradually we have to guide them back into place and it takes time like initially it's all about the soil about protecting the soil about you know putting the bacteria and the fungi right back in there where they need to be about creating shelter belts about starting with your you know your design whatever spaces you need for yourself and your family within there and how to design them in ways that don't block the flow of energy. There's like a universal flow of energy which comes with the patterns in nature and you stay within them so that you don't block that. And you have this huge opportunity there for a universal post box where you can really connect into the whole universe through your garden. And that's a whole other side to the book. But in terms of understanding that, yes, things will go wrong and that you can't expect much back from a child, right? You have to work with it until it gets to a point where you, where it can return, give you back stuff. So the, those first years of parenting are just thankless. Like they're, you look at it and go, oh God, it's lovely and cute and everything, but like it doesn't talk to me or anything yet. It's really boring. But, um, you know, so it's that thing of understanding that this is a slow process and it's nature and you cannot force it overnight. And as a designer of gardens initially, People are not, and I still come across them, but I just won't work with them anymore. People want an instant garden. and That's not forming relationship with a child. That's just having a plastic version of one in the, out there that you can look at and say, Is, isn't that pretty? You know, that isn't going to work for anyone. So, yes, when it's up and running, you, I, I have a list of things in the book that you will have to use to kind of hold at bay all the things that are going to go wrong, like the slugs and the weevils and 
all the things that can go wrong, they, they are going to have to be held at bay until the ecosystem is strong. And when the ecosystem is strong, all the creatures that will be there as natural predators are going to be back. The plants will have strong immunities because they're supported and well. They won't, they won't succumb to any of that stuff. And it's just remember, it's just like a kid. So you either have a strong kid who feels empowered and strong, or you have a weak kid who's squished and given out to every time it tries to, tries to you know, blossom. If that makes sense, so, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh, it's Kathleen, so you threw your baby out with the bathwater. Is what happened. I did. <laughs> and you know, I don't do that with anything else in my life. I mean, I have this stick to itiveness whenever it comes to my own child, or my discipline whenever it comes to taking care of my body, or whenever it comes to even our lives as creative entrepreneurs we don't give up the first time something goes wrong and even in one season so I think that this was just a a bad time for me to have tried or you know maybe I was focusing too much on that end result versus everything that you talk about in your book which is a more holistic approach and a more really integrated approach where it's not just about okay, I'm going to plot out this four by four square and I'm going to map out exactly what's going to grow in each square foot. It's really about, I love how you really blend getting to know your land with um, growing it and nurturing it just like a child. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more, you know, even just seeing that connection as you're talking about this garden between children, raising children, building a garden, and even creative entrepreneurship, I'm curious what connections you found between spending time in nature and your own personal development. Like maybe, and you talk a lot about how healing the earth um, heals you at the same time and how that works together. Well, it's not like I'm fixed. Just let me put it like that, okay? <laughs> it's, a, it's a process. I get, you know, more than anyone else. I'm working towards it. I'm walking towards it. Um, Okay, so as I came to these understandings, I mean, all of my designs looking back were becoming more and more. um, If you look at my designs, they look like wombs or, you know, sexual organs almost. (laughs) They they always look like. I know what all of Kathleen's would look like. Just throwing that. Vaginas <laughs> all over my backyard. Right? Yeah, there you go. That's what most of my drawings look like, it seems. But um, anyway, so, so what happens is that um, I realized on observation over those years of my writing this book that all land attracts people who need the same types of healing as the land itself. So some land... You know the way some people, something bad can happen to one person and they'll recover really quickly from it. And the same bad thing might happen to another person and they'll hold on to it forever and they'll never recover from it. Okay, so everyone's different and land is the same. And, you know, each each kind of, I'm sure you see it in America, like you see how, say, people from Colorado are different from people from New York and Seattle and South. They all have different personalities or energies right if they're connected to the earth if they're not sure and then people are attracted from all over the world to go and live in different places and it's because they require the same types of healing as those pieces of land do so let me explain my land for example which I now have and I'm trying to bring back to life okay I've only been working on it for about a year I have my own forest garden with my manager which we brought back to life but I didn't have my own piece for me and my kids until a year ago so a year and a half ago so although I have done this with Claire my friend and manager I haven't hadn't done it for myself if that makes sense so now I am and it's very interesting because the land that that I chose and that chose me has serious issues with abandonment has serious issues of feeling rejected and not trusting people at all and that's the land that I have chosen and it's exactly the same as me. And it's amazing to to, to to feel into the land and to feel it going, yeah, right, you're going to stick around. You're not going to stick around. And I go, no, I'm going to stick around. I'll stick around. You know, I'm going to be here. And it's just a slow process. And as I work with the land, as I'm, I've planted 200 trees the weekend, um, I've, been, I've been working with it. I've 
had horses there to bring all the proper bacteria back to the soil. You can do it naturally like that, you know. Um, and um, using pigs to, 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 to create open spaces so that we can put in wildflower meadows and things. You know, I, I am working with it, but I'm finding that I, I, what I know what's going to happen is that I'm going to recover from my abandonment issues, you know, and my fear of rejection or my, under, or my belief that people won't stick around. And I'm getting to the point where now I don't, I don't actually care if I end up on my own, which is a really good thing, you know? I'm sorry, that sounds very personal and very specific, but what I mean is that every piece of land has the same needs that you do. And we disconnected from the earth completely when we stopped growing our own food, right? That's the moment when we stopped having a connection with the earth. And up until that moment, it was really important that we took care of the earth. And it's really important because we depended on it. But now we just buy it from the supermarket down the road and it's covered in plastic. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, oh, what will we cook tonight? Right. Whereas it, it was vital that we took care of it because we, we depended on it for our survival. And, and this was also only about 100 years ago, which I want to point out, which is mind boggling to me. And something that I do think about a whole lot is like the first grocery stores popped up less than 100 years ago. So 100 years ago, we were all still growing our food. And within a generation or two, we've completely forgotten how to do this, which is mind blowing to me. And within that same amount of time, we have almost destroyed our planet. So right. that that dis, that disconnection that we have that we have lost that you know it's we've ripped a hole in our hearts by losing that connection with our mother, the earth beneath our feet, right? And that hole we're trying to fill constantly with going to the gym, drugs alcohol, television, connecting to people, which isn't really working. It's not really working. You know, the real connection is beneath our feet. Now, people who really have that connection, and they do, obviously, all around the world, there's indigenous people who still have that dependence on the earth. And, you know, they have exactly the same energy as people who have been meditating for about 50 years. And they have it naturally. And so, it would be a very simple thing for us to get back into that connected space where we find our true selves again and our roles and who we are. We've, we've just forgot. Like, there is no need for us to be on this planet. There is no role for us in this ecosystem. None. The only role for us here is to mind it. Now, we can't let it go back to a mature, dark woodland. Our job is to hold it so that it's more of a mid-succession woodland so that there's multiple tiers of plants because there's more light. We have to allow more light through. That's our job. Very simple thing. And to mulch it all. And we have to, so basically we're keeping more light coming through. And forest gardening is a very specific and slow science of building a, a multi-tiered woodland system, even in the smallest of spaces. But if we hold that, 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 that if we allow the land to be minded and we we bring in other plants and we work with the native plants. We have to work with the native plants because the connections between all the creatures, are they need those native plants. But we also can bring in other plants that can feed us as well. You know, and in the Amazon basin years ago, that's, the you know, for thousands of years, people lived like that. And the, the, the most fertile soils in the world are in the Amazon. They're called the black earth soils. But there's also, also extremely infertile areas of the Amazon where people didn't live. So we can be a positive influence here as opposed to this incredibly destructive and negative one. And we've got to a point where it's becoming clear that unless we step up ourselves and deal with this, we're out of here. And, and us as mothers, we can't, we can't do that. I don't want my kids to end up in, in that world that, that we're heading into. For sure. And for me, if, if one of the most powerful forms of resistance that I can practice is loving the earth and tending to my piece of land, then I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds easy enough to me. Grow my, grow my food. Um, and I don't know. Enjoy well, the thing. 
Mm-hmm. Sorry for interrupting. Oh no, no sorry. No. I'm always You're fine. I'm so much that, that means that we're having a good conversation. Good conversations Agreed. have lots of interruptions. No, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> Kathleen, one thing that you can do that's really useful right now is, um, if you want to grow food right now, right, you can you can lay down. You can just take a section of your land, okay, and um, grow grow some little pots of peat-free based soil compost in your little pots, your seed trays, and grow like your greens even. Just grow your greens and mix them up. Don't have rows of vegetables because then it's like one of the little creatures are going to come along and go, oh, look, there's another one beside it. Let's eat that one as well. And then moves on in the rows. So that doesn't work very well. Mix everything up so there's a diverse mix of all these things, right? And put some native plants in there. Let the dandelions go in there. Let all the other things like the plantains and things get them in there, you know? But um, because it takes a while to build up the multi-tiered system, right? But my favorite way of getting people started in this and getting to them to understand is just to put, put to get, make some compost. Most people have a compost heap. Put it down on top of the grass. Put down sheets of cardboard over that, wet it, and get your little plugs of plants and stick them in through the cardboard. So you've got all these little plants stuck into the cardboard through. You don't have to do any work, no digging, nothing. It's so easy. And then you put put mulch down on top of that so everything is retained the moisture is retained so easy like maybe put a strip of copper around the edge so the slugs don't have a feast so you know they won't cross <laughs> over the copper i have different ways of dealing with these creatures but you have to you have to do it slowly you know but yeah just god it's just it's so easy and i suppose it takes a bit of time but the good thing about this whole method that i have in my book is that none of us have any time i don't have much time you know, so this is a really slow process because you can't do it fast. You just can't. It's like you can't tell a baby to grow up, skip the teenage years, get on with it. Like, man, I've tried and I have tried. <laughs> I'm like, can you please get through I have this things. sleep deprivation phase? Like, and, but then you find that you're not being present for where you're at, right? I mean, just like yeah. children or businesses, why would you wish away what's happening right now, even if it's not the best? It's it's the story it is what it is it's the process yeah I love that that's so true yeah I've got another question for you kind of rewinding because something that I'm hearing from you sharing your story is the fact that you share your story it's not just about doing the work now you have a movie being made which that could probably be a whole other podcast like how did that happen you've written a book can you talk to a little bit about the importance of sharing your story and maybe even allowing your story to evolve with you? Like, wh- how has that played into your business and into your life? I I don't I don't don't really understand what you mean. Sorry, Kathleen. I what guess you mean? it's just there's a lot of people. I mean, for example, I know some landscape gardeners who are not writing books and they're not having films made about their life and they're not even talking about their yard or past projects they like have a portfolio or not even a portfolio they're just like here here's what I would like to do for your yard and it it, the, the connection is lost like the story is not there it's simply here's the thing that you want and how can I rephrase this so And honestly, I love that you don't even get the question in that it's not even an issue for you. You're just sharing your story. And I think that's probably, that's your answer, Kathleen. I know. It's a non-issue. It's a non-issue. It's just happening. (laughs) No, no, there is, there is an element of, if you go back to that, to my understanding that, that my, my true love is nature, my true connection. You know, I have my kids um, and I love them more than anything and I have people in my life that I adore obviously but my true love my where I feel safe to love because of whatever issues I have you know as mad as a brush as I am um, (laughs) is nature so you know I feel this overwhelming need to protect nature and I'm seeing what's happening at such a devastating rate I'm I I can't bear it. Like the pain that I feel on a constant basis is overwhelming. I just want to get down on my knees and apologize constantly to the earth for what we are doing. You know, I'm horrified. And once you open up to what's going on and suddenly look around the supermarkets and see how crazy this all is. It's crazy. Like all this abundance that is available to us 
we're ignoring and we're trying to fill in that hole in our hearts with all this crazy stuff, like more and more stuff, which brings nobody happiness. The more choices we have, the less happy we are. You know, it's just a weird, weird, weird dream we're all living. And and nobody wants to go back to being, you know, cold and living in caves, all that stuff. You know? <laughs> No, but, <laughs> but we did. But there, there is like a a need to remember what's important and restore that connection with the earth. And before it's too late, and if it's too late, then that's a pity. It's an awful pity. I just hope it's not too late. But I don't think it is. I think we still have time to fix this, as long as everybody realizes nobody else is going to fix it. Mm. I agree with that. Oh, I almost feel like that's, that's it. Fix it. (laughs) Well, and that brings us, you know, let's maybe wrap this up by one last actionable. I mean, you've shared so much and thank you so much. But if there's just one thing that our listeners could do right now to begin doing some earth healing, what would that be? Okay. um, Plant a tree as quickly as possible and recognize and acknowledge your land so that it doesn't feel ignored. The worst thing you can do is to ignore something. Um, If you hate it, at least it feels a connection. But if you ignore it, it doesn't realize it exists and its energy disappears and retreats. You You need to connect with it and tell it that you're acknowledging it and that you're going to get around to fixing and helping and healing it now as soon as you can. And plant a tree. Um, and stop digging and stop using chemicals. Sorry, Kathleen, you didn't know. Everybody doesn't know. I'm well, not giving out. You know saying- what? You know what's funny? I did know. I did know, and I was going against my better judgment to, you know, almost like keep up with the Joneses or to keep up appearances. I, I or did to not too. have the one brown lawn in the in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, when you should be proud of the fact that you're the only one in the neighborhood who's actually caring enough to stop putting this stuff down. But I did this too, Kathleen. I promise you, it's not like (laughs) you're any different. I mean, I think everyone has been fooled into thinking that that's the norm. And it's such a short amount of time, you know, since Emily was saying it's only 100 years less. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy, you know. So, yeah, I think planting trees and acknowledging the land and slowly working towards stopping using chemicals don't even consider it like that's crazy and uh realizing that all the food you're eating is poisonous even organic food isn't good enough it's still based on tilling the soil we need to step away from that we need to we need to go back into actually the victory gardens like you say but (laughs) this is a step further in that it's saying what does the land itself want to become and working with that and and it's not just about us there's all the other creatures that we're supposed to be taking care of it's not it's not just about us, you know, it's, there's a whole, you can pull on one thread, one thread in nature and everything is attached to it. Everything is attached to it. So we need to take care of every single part of that thread because if any of it is cut, the whole thing is going to break. So that's it. Thank, thanks for having me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This this has been. I I may have teared up a time or two, guys. That totally did happen. Um, but because because I feel this too, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us and talk about this stuff. If anyone who's listening wants to hear more, go get Mary's book, The Garden Awakening, and get it all the places that books are sold. Um, I'm sure. Amazon is where I got mine. <laughs> and what is the film called again? It's called Dare to be Wild. You can look up the trailer. It's there when you Google it. It's, it's out. Like it's, it's been out. It was out in Ireland. I had to drag my children to the premiere in Japan there last, <laughs> last September. Um, and we went to, you know, a different, few different places. But it's, it's coming out in phases. It's just coming out in Germany now. But they have a few offers in America now, I think, to um, release it over there. Awesome. So I don't know when, but sometime this year, probably this summer, you know. But it's a beautiful film, and it's a—it's not a dark movie, which is always a relief, you know. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it and say I know her. <laughs> right? I agree. Um. <laughs> it's a version of me you're going to see. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's lovely. Thank you very much, guys. It's lovely to talk to you. 
This episode of Being Boss was brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring us, and you guys can try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. If you're a creative entrepreneur, freelancer, or a small business owner who is ready to take your goals to the next level, check out the Being Boss Clubhouse, a two-day online retreat followed by a year of community support, monthly masterclasses, book club, secret episodes, and optional in-person retreats. Find more at www.beingboss.club clubhouse. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin, with support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.